0: Hello, everybody. It is my delight to, uh, to have Mathieu Peugeot joining us today. How are you doing, Mathieu?
1: I'm doing good. It's good to meet you. And thanks for making those, uh, those videos about, uh, about my book that you did a while ago. So thanks for that. <laughs> uh,
0: it's the least that I could do, man. That was such an inspirational book to me and so many other people. It really helped so many people see the scriptures and see reality so much more clearly. And it's inspired so much. Um, and I know that uh, there was a few videos of you with Jordan Peterson ar- around the time that the book came out in 2018 uh, conversations with your brother, Jonathan. Um, and then the book was published and then it seems like Mathieu Pajot had a-, a vanishing and we didn't see or hear from him for several years. And now you're reemerging here in 2022 conversations with Jordan Peterson again and uh, several others. So uh, I just got to say on behalf of me and you know, the listeners and the, uh, people that care about you and your work—it's uh, good to see you. It's really good to see yeah. you again.
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm back because now I have new things to say. Basically, that's the reason why I'm back. So basically, I said I said what I wanted to say in my book, and then I I just decided I was gonna understand what I didn't. You know, that's how it, that's how it works for me. Yeah. I said <laughs> I, it's like I dropped I dropped what I what I thought was worth sharing. You know, and then I, I went back to trying to understand things that I didn't understand. So that's what I've been doing. And I mean, it's hard to do that if you're engaged in social media and things like that. It's hard to uh, focus. It takes a lot of uh, time and uh, it takes a lot of brain space. You know, to, to to be dealing with different people. You know, it's it's a choice that you got to make. You you can do it's a good thing i mean but you could decide not to not to do that which is pretty much what i what i what i did and even recently i decided maybe i wanted to make maybe a couple of videos just the idea of making a video uh, has kind of um, stolen my my focus you know <laughs> so it's what's right. gonna happen is probably i'm not gonna do that i'm just gonna go back to uh concentrating on writing you know
0: a lot of uh followers and listeners are not used to that usually someone who's an, uh, a successful author we usually have an instagram account and a twitter account and a facebook and a youtube and a podcast and for some people it's it's natural to engage with
1: others you know for some people it's natural for some people it's um it gives them energy too but for me it's the opposite it, it drains a lot of energy for me to uh interact with with people I don't really know. I mean, I can easily interact with my close friends and things like that. That's not the same, but interacting with people, uh, it just drains my energy and it just takes my energy
0: away from, uh, what I, what I want to work on. You know, people do care a lot about you. So, you know, just, uh, I guess one of the common questions that I'll ask you is, you know, how are you and how has it been, you know, in the last couple of years? Um, it's been it's been okay. I mean, I'm I'm pretty
1: resilient. I've had some some interesting experiences uh that have led me to understand what I do understand now, the, the new information or the new insights that I have. But I mean I've had some struggles, but um it's helped me to understand a lot of things. So I'm grateful for it now. Even when it was happening, I'm I'm pretty i'm pretty tough to be honest like internally it's not really much can can break me you know what i mean it's so you know sometimes negative things turn into positives It's pretty much what happened so uh so right now i mean i i live literally live in a in a yurt right now how's the yurt life what's that like it's great actually (laughs) i love it it's uh i i wanted to uh at one point build some uh, some greenhouses with someone i know so i started that but then it turns out it uh, didn't work out with that person uh basically i guess he was trying to steal from me <laughs> honestly that that's what happened wow. um so then i i realized and then i you know it it, it didn't end well so um and then after that uh know, yeah, a series of things happened and uh I ended up uh, living in a yard, but I mean, that's what I wanted in the first place. I wanted to live on that land and then work when greenhouses. Um, and then because it didn't turn out well with that person, uh, I had to move, you know. So I uh, bought a small piece of land, like a forested place, and uh, I rebuilt my whole yard and everything. Um, and now you know, it's great. Now I'm really happy to, to, to
0: have that. Oh what's the difference between like like living in a rectangular space and then living in a circular one?
1: Yes, there actually is a big difference. Uh <laughs> you got to live it to see it. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but I, definitely since I've been living in like a round space, it's definitely has an influence on your on your thinking and on your uh your your mood and your your mind and your, your ideas. And also it's, it's not just the roundness of it. It's definitely something though. I, I don't know how to describe it, but there's no doubt when I enter that space, it's not the same as it's in a house. Okay. But there's also, um, the way it's constructed, there's a, there's like a window above, right? That's, I don't know if you're familiar with oh, at the center. Shirts. Yeah. The apex, right? Yeah. There's like a dome and it's like a, a transparent dome at the top. um, that's where all the light comes in so it's you, you have natural light basically it's just always natural light and that's not the same too it's really not the same as uh light bulbs you, you it's not the same mood it's not the same um i don't I, again i don't know how to describe it it's just an experience you know uh and there's something about just it causes you to see nature a lot more like now i know like I can tell what temperature it is now just, just by mm. feel. And I can, I always know what time it is too. Now I always know what time it is. I don't need to look at watch. I always know. Cause I'm right. used to it now. I see, I know where the sun is. Like, because the, the way it's constructed, the sun goes into the top and then it, it almost creates a clock. It almost creates a clock in the, oh. in the yurt. If you know, you could you see where the sun lines and then it moves. So it's weird, but now I'm, I, I guess more in touch with uh, n- nature. I guess it just happened, and also like now I notice a lot of things that I didn't notice before because I'm basically living surrounded by animals and uh, a lot of, lots of weird things happening in the in the forest uh, during the night. Sometimes there's some weird stuff happening. It, it happens often, actually. Like I wake up and then I I feel some some like energy you know i'm excited for some reason i don't know why and then all of a sudden the animals they they start screaming all around like wolves and coyotes and owls wow. all of a sudden like all of them at once and the weird thing is i wake up before it happens it that's not what wakes me up like i wake up and i i feel like you know excited or something i feel energy and then And then I know it's like, I know it's going to happen. I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it just is. I know it's going to, I know there's energy in the air. Okay. And then all the animals all of a sudden go nuts, the wolves. And like I just said, then now now I'm used to it. I mean, because it happens at least maybe twice a week or so right in the middle of the night, there's like a, like an orchestra of, of animals. All of a sudden it happens often. It's, it's not that weird. It really just happens when you live in the in the woods. At one point, you start noticing certain things. Yeah.
0: So it seems like you're in a space. I mean, like your walls are canvas cloth, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a modern. It's like a more of a modern yurt where it's made of modern materials. So it's okay. um, yeah, it's it's canvas, but it's not it's not cl- uh, textile. You know, it's like uh, okay. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's a kind of a rubbery kind of a more like a tent, you know um okay. it's uh it's not cloth but i mean it's it has the same
0: uh, yeah uh, well i mean you, you know me, it is intrigued you, you have me thinking about like what it's like to actually be inside of there like so you have light emitting from the center of like this circular place you know like do you feel like you're like to use your terminology uh, more engaged more engrossed in the realm of time or of, of that of space oh yeah
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm really, really aware now of the temperature, the humidity, uh, you know, when the sun rises, when it goes down. I know the cycles of the moon now. I always know what what cycle, what the moon is in which cycle, like which uh, phase of the cycle, I mean, because mm-hmm. I see it now. And it's like now I notice, you know, how how cold it is at night. You know, I never used to know that. Like uh, usually when you're in a house, you don't know that it's cold outside during the night. You're just sleeping. You know, you got you got a good uh, heating. heating. Oh, yeah. I got I have to wake up in the middle of the night to uh, during the winter. I have to like, let's say, maybe wake up at least once a night to make a fire. Uh, Even now, like it's it's uh, abnormally cold right now for this uh, this month. And uh, yeah, I got to get up at like three and make a fire. <laughs> you got to do it or else yeah, it reaches like below zero temperatures. Oh, wow. So, but you get used to it. It's You you can get used to anything. It's actually, there's something good about it. when, Like when you get up in the middle of the night, this is actually when I have a lot of my more, more uh, profound insights. You know, it's when I get up in the middle of the night, like at 3 a.m. is a good time to, to think. I don't know why but that's it's just the fact that i've noticed it's just like my experience and then you, you you have a clearer understanding of of uh simple things and sometimes i think about you know stories from the bible and uh, certain things i'm trying to understand and then when i wake up uh in the middle of the night to like build a fire or something like that this is usually when i have some some insights and then i have to write it down cuz you always think you're you're going to remember <laughs> but you usually you don't actually sometimes you have some glimpses of really good ideas you know like an, an understanding that you don't have uh before and then you think oh i don't have to write this down i'm gonna remember this is like really profound stuff mm-hmm. yeah but then like two days later
0: you don't remember it <laughs> but now i know now i always write it down i was right always it always yeah so it's interesting that you get such clear thoughts during the realm of sleep and and the darkness or the the time of dreams um yeah yeah, you don't know. Yeah, those type of things that you swear you'll never forget. It's interesting how you can wake up and just have like a figment, like a phantom of like, I think I had a really good idea, but I don't remember what that was. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, if you, yeah,
1: if you write it down, I mean, I think there's a reason why, I mean, monks used to do that, right? They used to get up in the middle of the night and, uh, like sing songs and things like that they used to have like services in the middle of the night i mean there's there's a reason they knew what they were doing and there was a reason why they did that it's definitely something when you wake up in the middle of the night your brain is not functioning the same way it's more clear i don't know why but it's just by experience i've seen i have noticed that
0: matthew what would you say is like a like a day in the life of matthew peugeot in the yurt life
1: uh there's a lot of chores to be honest yes there's a lot of chopping of wood there's a lot of getting water oh it's true it's it's like when you, you notice at one point that life is about eating sleeping uh getting water we use a lot of water like mm. Humans use a lot of water. I'm amazed sometimes at how much water I use because when you have mm. to go get it, when you have to go uh, fill up yeah. some, some yeah. containers and bring it, you know, you notice how much water you use, and it's a heck of a lot. To be honest, I, I never would have imagined how much water we use. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that in it like an ecological sense of wasting water or anything like that. It's just I never would have thought I used so much water. It's like we use water for everything, you know. Like, you got to clean dishes. You got you to gotta cook. It's so much water that you use. Like you don't notice it when you have a tap, you know. It's not a big deal. You just put water in. But when you got to go get it and you got to carry it, you're like, man, I use so much water. Oh, it's like you get big jugs and you're, I got enough for a few days. But no, you got enough for one day. You know what I mean? <laughs> and also, same thing, <clears throat> chopping a lot of wood. I'm always chopping wood now. It's like I'm getting good at it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um But I mean, these are all activities that you can you can do and think, you know, this it's not like it it doesn't use my mind to do these things. This is the good part of of it. You know, you can I think that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be engaged in like manual work and at the same time always be reflecting. You know, that's yes. That's my opinion. I think we've lost that because we, we most of us have jobs where we have to use our mind. But we're not using our mind for really deep thinking. You know, we're using our mind to do these tasks. Right. And then so we might think it's better to have an intellectual job. We might think that. But in a way, it's not because your mind is being used for the task. While on the other hand, if you're doing manual stuff, um, you can your mind can Can still operate you know you can still think the manual work becomes good for an someone who's interested in intellectual pursuits
0: (laughs) yes yes I, i totally agree so there's times where like i i'm in the office right and i'm supposed to be doing all this computer work tons and tons of computer work right but then i'll just stop and i'll go wash dishes or i'll go like like with the little pinchers and pick up garbage around the parking lot or something and a lot of my coworkers, they'll, they'll get frustrated and say like, oh, Derek, you know, why aren't you working? You're not mm-hmm. typing stuff on your keyboard. And it's like, you don't understand, like I am. Yeah. But I, I need to be doing these things in order to have clear thoughts or have thoughts kind of settle upon me. Are you
1: a, pro- um, are you a programmer?
0: Uh, no. So I, I do uh, community work. So I work with a nonprofit, um, but just all of the communication is on the computer. Um, most of the programs and the tools that I use are computer based.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's all computer. Yeah. Computer related.
0: And then, so yeah. you eventually get like these square eyes and your brain kind of turns into this fog when you're like immediately doing direct tasks on the computer. And so I'll try to break that up and I'll go, you know, proverbially I'll chop wood um, or I'll go work in the garden or, you know, I'll try to do these things that are simple, laborious. Yeah. Tasks gardening is, garden is good.
1: Gardening uh-huh. is good. If you want to I- like the best, the best work that you can do for, that kind of stuff is gardening. It's the best. Uh-huh. It's like a relaxing, you know.
0: That was one of the questions. Well, one of the feedback I wanted to give you from reading your book, Language of Creation, was, um, so it, it feels like it's a very um, spiritually, intellectual, challenging read. And it, and it can be a very intellectual experience. But then I found that unless I try to find ways of engaging with it in the material world, um, that I started to get kind of frayed in my thinking. And so like when I first read it a few years ago, uh, I started uh, uh, volunteering in a community garden and I was trying to find ways of applying things. So like I made the garden bed into the shape of, um, you know, the axis so like a, a vertical and pathway and a horizontal pathway, kind of like a shape of a cross and try to do like these circular arrangements and spirals. And it was like, (laughs) uh, but all the while engaging with, you know, soil and sowing seeds and seeing them grow and then seeing them decay and seeing the cycle take place um, within an ordered space. And uh, I found that it was actually in that space that most of my uh, insights through reading your work sunk in or, or veiled themselves. So I just, I don't know if there's, there's other Advice that you could give readers or experiences that you have um, for like how to engage the material that you present in your book. Yeah, well, it's about it's not easy, but it's it
1: took me a long time to start thinking like that. Honestly, yeah, it took me years. It's like at, at one point I saw that what was in the Bible didn't fit with our current worldview you know it didn't fit so i just decided that i had to or that i wanted to um rediscover like how did they think you know how, what, what what was their background of their of their mind from which these stories were developed so i mean it's a lot a lot of it is, is about thinking really basically like i was <laughs> i was thinking a lot about what what do humans do? You know, we eat. We eat, we breathe. These are simple things, but we take them for granted a whole lot. I mean, I started, I remember when I started to think, I think at the right level of it. I was just thinking about eating and I was like, man, eating is, is insane. We we take some matter and we make our bodies like we we create our own bodies with this matter. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, when you really think about it, you know. And when you realize that that's what life is all about, you know, it's about integrating the world into yourself, you know, and it, then expressing some some new insights from 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 your existence. You know, it's it. We don't. It's like you got to go back to the basics, you know. You got to go back to one of the things I was doing too, which was hard, is to. Get back to your experience, you know, I I started thinking in terms of just what do I observe? And then what I observed was, you know, the sun coming out of the ground, going up, falling down, going into the earth. And for sure, the ancient peoples of the world used to be amazed at that stuff and used to try to understand what it was. What is this fire that comes out of the ground and goes up into heaven? then it goes to like a maximum and then it goes back down and it falls back down into the earth. And then what does it do when it's in the earth? What does the sun do? Is it going on a journey or something? Is it dying? Is it resur- resurrecting? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now we have an explanation for these phenomenon. Oh, it's gravity, blah, blah, blah. You know, the earth gravity. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. We can explain it technically, but that's not how the, our ancestors used to interpret it for sure. So, so what, what? How did they interpret it? And th- these were the kinds of thoughts I was I was having when I was writing my book. Like I was trying to get myself into um, an ancient way of thinking. And actually, w- one thing I, I've been doing for a very long time, way before I wanted to write my book, I used to do some exercises where I used to just use my imagination and just imagine that I was um, like a primitive man, like a prehistoric man. Okay. I used to do that. Uh, okay. Um, this is a very long time ago. And uh I used to just imagine, you know, I was I didn't have any tools, I didn't have anything, and I was just trying to survive in the wild. And I used to imagine, you know, what 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 do you have to do to survive? You know, what do you have to do? And then it just put my mind into a really really simple uh way of interpreting reality because we, we, we don't see the world how, how our ancestors used to at all. For sure, we don't. So, how can we understand what they what they were talking about in ancient writings if we don't try to at least put ourselves in a frame of an ancient human, you know? But then, my my the result of these exercises was to see, at least for me, that's what happened to realize that their ancient way of thinking, in a way, is more profound than ours, Mm. you know, because we have a tendency of thinking, oh. In the past, people were dumb, you know. They had superstitions and they they didn't really understand reality. And they, you know, like what I was saying before, the sun comes out of the ground, then goes back into it. Usually, people would interpret that like, oh, they didn't have the correct interpretation of the phenomenon. You know, they mm. the, we're really on a globe, and we're really the Earth is turning around the sun, and the, all the other stuff is just illusions. You know, just like a, a false perspective, basically. So why would we want to understand why the sun comes out of the ground and goes back into it when it's all just an illusion? Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, but no, that's not, that wasn't the end result of my uh, thinking in the end I saw they interpret that phenomenon and they in interpreting phenomenon, you end up finding the deep patterns of, of the the universe. It doesn't matter that much if it's the technical explanation fits or not. It doesn't matter that much because it refined their thinking into something that was universal and applicable at all scales. So the technical explanation isn't really that important because in looking at the sun going around, you can understand the pattern of a cycle. And once you understand Mm -hmm. that, then that is a true pattern that manifests in many, in many places. So it doesn't matter if it's gravity doing it or something else. You still, you can still understand the pattern. So like, let's say in the the book of Ecclesiastes, um, he's talking about just the cycle pattern, right? In the book of Ecclesiastes, he's just talking about, the problem of, you know, things rising and falling, rising and falling and seeing all the implications of that, like, you know, what's the purpose of life if everything you do gets destroyed? You know, that was mm. his reflection. And he probably got those reflections by observing the sun and the, the, you know, the cycles. So what does it matter if it's gravity that causes this, you know, this, this manifestation? It doesn't. You can still see the pattern you can still understand the nature of this manifestation the cycle so in the ecclesiastes he he comes up with all the conclusions of what what is the implication of living in a cycle what is the implication of that you know you're born you die that's like nothing happens really in the end you know and he you can do that with anything you know you can see the cycle pattern in 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 anything so you see what i'm saying it's like there's a technical level to reality that is not as important as people think it's important when you do science and when you you do engineering and stuff like that but it's not really important as a human as who we are you know understanding the technicality of how things work is that really important i mean uh like we're talking about before gardening you know if you experience gardening is it really important to know to biology and all the technical, you know, molecular explanations of how the plant grows. No, it's not. It's really not. It changes nothing to the gardening, actually. You know, if you know, if you, you're going to be really good at gardening and know
0: absolutely nothing about molecules and atoms and stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. different levels. You could
0: still put a, you could still put a seed in the ground and it sprouts up and you see, you can still engage exactly. with it all that way. You, you engage with it and,
1: there's it's like there's different levels and we we have a tendency to think that the bottom level is more real than the upper levels it's not more real
0: scientific technical know-how-it-works level
1: yeah or or for example like uh saying that the atom is made of molecules and atoms somehow that's more real than the level of the plant itself that Mm. has its own laws and rules and you know, it develops and things, but it doesn't matter what it's, th- how the atoms work at that level. You know, it's like, if you're familiar with computers, we can use the analogy of a computer. It's actually a really good analogy. You know, you can be a programmer, computer programmer, and know zero about the hardware. You understand what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're you're a programmer, you know zero about how the computer works. Yeah, no, and no DOS, still be no a one
0: zeros. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And no, know uh, like the mechanics of the computer, you know, the wires and the, you know, the, <clears throat> you don't, ne- you don't need to know that level and you can still be a programmer. So isn't that interesting though? So it's not true that these levels have to be um, connected to each other in your knowledge. You can know, you can, here's another Uh, the opposite the flip side is also true you can know exactly how a computer works technically physically Mm -hmm. and not know how to program these levels are not as connected as we might imagine they're not actually they're separate because they're at different levels the Mm -hmm. computer the the programmer doesn't need to know that there's different kinds of computers anyway i mean you can make different kinds of computers Mm -hmm. you can make computers with uh you know
0: like a tablet
1: yeah you can make uh, you can make a computer with gears they used to do that in the old days you know they made basically calculating machine just with out of gears and stuff like that mechanical literally mechanical uh, calculators so wow. but your program doesn't depend on this level you know yeah you, you can have different kinds of computers and still have the same program that runs on mm. different computers it's the same program so it's similar you know in life you have you have a technical level that's like mechanical, almost like a computer, like the physics of it but but the scientists and most people like that are trying to explain the upper levels always with the lower levels mm. but there's no there's no guarantee that these two levels are connected in the way that. They're trying to make it seem it is just like the program is not connected to the hardware of the computer. Maybe reality is made in the same way. There's a level of technical uh, atomic stuff or whatever molecules. And it, is it really that connected to the next level, which is let's say, for example, life, you know, living creatures, how they interact with each other and how they Mm -hmm. uh, function like, like a social level, maybe not connected at all. You know, maybe this level of atoms and molecules could be totally different could be made of other material, and it would still be the same rules functioning above it, just like a computer program doesn't need the same, always the same computer hardware. Mm-hmm. So this okay. is kind of the stuff I start to understand at one point. This was helpful for me because it led me away from a certain way of thinking mm-hmm. that we're used to because it's, you know, we see it around us because of the dominance well, of science.
0: Yeah. Matthew. let me ask you this. So it, yep. can we make the same mistake on the other side where we're, you know, we're focusing too much on the, like, as you were just describing the lower level, technical, mechanical, atomic level, can you focus too too much on the higher level above yep. life, let's say? Um, and what, what would yep. that be? How would you describe that?
1: Well, I think you could do that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> I don't want to take too many digs at theology and philosophy because... <laughs> I mean, I have respect for people who, who do that. And I also have respect uh, for scientists, by the way. I have respect for biologists and chemists and all that stuff. I don't want to like, I, it's not about that. It's about, they don't have a monopoly. That's the thing. Okay. I mean, I, I have respect for those um, those areas of knowledge, but I don't like it when they think they have a monopoly and that they it, it, that their level encompasses the whole thing because it doesn't. So like, for example, that's what I was going to say. Like, let's say philosophy and theology. Th- these are really abstract levels of, you know, you're talking about being, you know, like metaphysics, like er- Aristotelian metaphysics. Or you're talking about being and, uh, you know, all these categories that are very abstract. And in theology, same thing. You know, you're talking about God being uh, omnipresent, you know. and uh, But these are really, really high levels. Categories that are extremely abstract. I mean, is that really useful? I mean, is it really useful for human human existence and human well-being to know that God is omnipotent and um, how do you say that in English? Omniscient is that how you say it? Yeah, omniscient. Omniscient. Is it really useful? And uh, in my experience, um, sometimes you know I have some interpretations of certain stories in the Bible, and that. And some people come up to me and they're like, you know, and they give another interpretation based on the idea that God is omnipotent. And usually what they say doesn't bring any insight to the story. It doesn't. Like it doesn't. The fact that you tell me God is omnipotent as a principle. By the way, I'm not saying God isn't omnipotent. I'm just saying that is such a high level of abstraction. Right. It's like you're dealing with some principles, some ideas that are extremely high level like extremely abstract and then you 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 kind of separated them from reality and even separated them from the stories in the bible so when you read the stories in the bible you see god acting in a certain way you know you see god changing changing his mind you see god uh doing things and then repenting god is repents in the bible many many times So even when he does the flood, he repents. It said he repents from from creating uh, the human. And then it says he repents from doing the flood. Okay. So, but then a theologian is going to come to me and say, God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. So he's not really changing his mind. He already knew that he was going to do it and then change it, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I'm not saying it's not true. But what I'm saying is your high-level idea of God doesn't help me understand this story. It doesn't. Mm. In fact, it hinders me a little bit in understanding the story. Because you've got this really high ideal. And when I read the story, it doesn't even fit with what you're saying. The story itself doesn't fit with these high, high, high high-level ideas. It, you can make it fit through all kinds of, you know, manipulations and saying, uh, right, you right. can say he already knew that he was going to change his mind. And then he he would. So he didn't really change his mind. And, and OK, but that doesn't help me. It really doesn't. It, it looks more like you're trying to justify your ideal with the story and you're, you're dancing around it. It's like you're it's hard for you to justify that God is omniscient based on this story because in the story that's not what it looks like now again i'm not saying god isn't omniscient i'm just saying these are high 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 level ideas and i don't think we have between the stories in the bible okay and these high level theoretical ideas i don't think we have the right connectors here to make Mm. it make sense i think it's true that god is omniscient and omnipotent and all that but we're missing something like we have two levels here, the levels that are described in the story of the Bible and the these these theological things. And I think there's a gap here mm. between these two things. And I think we don't know how to join them correctly. It would be interesting if we mm. did, but I honestly think we don't. So
0: what you happens that's is like the, the work that we have for our generation for this time is to try to find those ways of connecting. I think it's the
1: work of. All generations, you know, it's not just us. I mean, it's. I think at some point, <laughs> this is my theory, but I think at some point, there wasn't. There was a Christianity um, took some Greek concepts, okay, some Greek philosophy concepts, uh, and they integrated it into Christianity. And this actually happened before Christianity. It happened in, in Judaism. You know, there was. Judaism, And then they encountered the Greeks and the Greeks had high level mathematics and they had high level philosophy, right? So, and then the, the Jews also tried to integrate these, these ideas into their, uh, into their worldview. And then it created some problems. They, they're aware of it. I mean, it created some problems because there was, it's too high. It's too high. Again, that doesn't mean it's not true. Like there's difference between not true and too high. Too high means we can't connect our reality with these high level ideas. We don't know how to connect them properly so that it makes sense. So we have like separate universes, a universe of theological understanding and a universe of stories in the Bible. And then now we even have lower levels that are not connected to these either. Yeah. We have our scientific uh, technical knowledge. It's not connected to this and that's not connected to that. So we have like disconnected realities that we don't know how to connect. And I think this is our main problem and it's a big mm. one. Uh, it's like we live, we live in a fractured world. You know, we live in a world that has fractured. Um, there's no bridges between the different levels of things. Mm. And um yeah. This is what we have to do. So when you say, "Yeah, is this what we have to do? Yes, I think it is. We have to work at connecting these things in a a good way, not in a way where like we're fighting each other. Like there shouldn't be fights between religion and and science and there shouldn't be fights between theology. And let's say just the, the biblical narrative, there shouldn't be conflicts. It's there should be bridges created so that it makes everything makes sense, but it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy. I'm not claiming I'm not claiming that to have it. But Would I you tried your to,
0: books is you're like endeavoring to accomplish that or try to help bridge those things.
1: Yeah, definitely. What I'm trying to do, yeah, yeah. I'm trying as as best as I can to do what I you know, what I see. Uh I mean, I was more concerned with bridging the gaps between the stories in the Bible and um our scientific worldview, you know, Mm -hmm. our technical worldview. And, but I didn't want to necessarily bridge those gaps. What I really wanted to do is just make sure there's no confusion between the two. So you see, there's a lot of work we have to do. So I wasn't really even trying to bridge the gaps really, because it's hard. It's it's something I'm going to let someone else do, you know, eventually maybe, but I would just wanted to make sure there's, there's no confusion between these two levels. Like there's no confusion between the hardware and, this, and the software, you know, hmm. like we don't, we okay. know that there's separate things and it's, I think it's possible to make some bridges between them. I think some people are doing it. I mean, I don't necessarily follow um, all of that because to me, it's, it's, uh, I don't see it as my job. You know, I don't see it as my, uh,
0: you leave it up to your um, brother,
1: my domain. <laughs> well, my brother, I mean, he's more of an interviewer. I mean, he's not the one doing the work, you know, he's more of someone who interviews the people who are doing that work you know what i'm saying he's not the one who's doing the actual bridge but he's serving in a sense as a bridge of communication you know because he's not Mm -hmm. the scientist who's doing the trying to you know bridge the gap. in a way he is but you know what i mean he's not the one doing the technical Mm -hmm. bridging you know um right so and to me there's another bridge like i was saying before above theology that our tradition of theology and philosophy, mm-hmm. to me, that comes from the Greeks. It doesn't even come from the Jewish tradition. You got pure Greek stuff, you know. And it's, but it's, it, it is valuable. And the Jews back then knew it was valuable, or else they wouldn't have tried to integrate it into their worldview. They knew this is something, you know. that it's, I mean, math, mathematics comes from these these high-level ideas and all the philosophy that i mean it's valuable stuff it's not wrong it's just disconnected from reality i mean you know the idea that if you study philosophy you're not really going to do anything with it you know that tells us whether that's true or not i mean it tells us a little bit the idea that this is some disconnected stuff because it's it's just ideas it's not connected to it doesn't go down into the ground, you know? Yeah, and we so need, how,
0: we, I think we need to like do concrete that. reality? Like put it in practice? Like what do what these things, what does symbolism and wisdom and principle look like in practice? Does it look like chopping wood and baking bread and weaving clothes together? Like, You, you know? mean in
1: the symbolism? In symbolism or
0: in theology? Uh, well, um, what fascinates me about symbolism is that it's something that we can all participate in um, yet it can hide in plain sight. And so one thing that you had mentioned before is um, initiation, like in that comment with the conversation with Garrett, like how symbolism could be right in front of you. The biblical stories, the scriptures are right in front of you and yet you, you just don't even see, you don't engage with the meaning. And then you do, and then you learn some more, you read your book, let's say, and all of a sudden everything's just opened up. It's almost like, would you say it's like a veil being pulled back and then you can see what's behind. You're like, Oh wow. It's amazing. You're like, wait, wait, wait. There's a little bit more. And then you pull another veil. Is it something like that? And like, how does that work? It's like, what is, what is the dynamic of, you know, initiation, having a a veil uh, and then seeing what's behind that or engaging in that realm. And then that of a revelation or even, um, even say like nakedness, you know, like where there's this idea that there's a veil between what you can and can't see or what you can and can't engage with. And then having to come to a certain place where you can now engage with it and now see it. Like, how does all that work? Yeah. Uh, Well, I can tell you my
1: experience of it. I mean, it's it's has a lot to do with the idea of, um, Of perspectives okay i use that word i'm going to start using that a lot by the way (laughs) when i'm going to write the word perspective it's very important because um it's about looking at the world through a certain perspective and that's why certain things are not visible to you sometimes and then they become visible because you're looking at them differently it's your eyes that change you know it's your perspective that change so they were always there but you couldn't see them because your eyes couldn't see them you, you weren't paying attention to them you know um you didn't see their importance that's how another way to say it that because there's a difference between seeing something and seeing the importance of something right you see this is important or you just see it as a detail you know in the background so that's that's how it, um, it happens um i mean to me the way it happens you, it's like you there are certain things that you can perceive that make you change your perspective. Most of the things that you see, they don't change your perspective. They just, they don't do anything to you, to your mind. Really. You just see them as objects, you know, like I can look at my, my, you know, my, my cup here, you know, it's not changing my perspective. It's a cup, you know, (laughs) but there's certain things that when you see, they modify your vision of, of uh, the world. And, uh, look can I I can give you an example when I was writing my book uh, I had something like that I had many of those but I can there's one that's easy to explain at one point I was thinking about I was trying to understand the symbolism of light okay um light and dark and things like that and then uh I did the kind of the exercise that I was telling you about before I put myself in a really basic you know almost prehistoric man <laughs> frame of mind and then I realized that light is fire. There's only mm-hmm. one kind of light and it's fire. And that seems like, a, you know, not important under insight, but it was extremely important. It changed my perspective because then I, I realized, okay, right, we're used to light bulbs and stuff like that. We're used to all different kinds of lights, right? And uh, But in the past, the only kind of light was fire so light is fire okay and then i realized okay this is this is important because when you read the bible and you think about the concept of light you got to realize it means fire so that means uh among other things that the light consumes things because fire consumes it eats matter it eats it's an eater so that's hugely important in terms of symbolism so now you got you understand okay when there's a light there needs to be something that's eaten consumed for the light to, to be there okay mm. so that's just an insight that i had about light when i thought was i was thinking practically instead of just abstractly like a modern man you know a light bulb so we had this really abstract category of light but if you go back down into the practicality of the prehistoric man, and let's, let's say like that, light is fire, okay? so, And then all of a sudden, I use my light to cook food. I, I used to think there was no relationship between the concept of light and the concept of cooking, right? Mm. But now, if I think light is fire, I cook with the thing that makes the light, See, you make different associations in your mind. Okay, let me give you another example. This is an example. Uh, now I'm gonna reveal to you something important that happened recently. Another example of an insight that I had recently, and then this is the source of what I'm gonna write in my book that I want to write. Okay. I was thinking about the the whole concept of um um renewal and all that stuff you know i've been talking about this recently Mm -hmm. and um this happened to me i was i was thinking about the concept of a direct light and a reflected light okay okay and then i realized something i realized when do we see reflected light in the prehistoric man's world you know when do we see that when do we see the reflected light it's not that many times We're used to having mirrors around us, you know, and glass and stuff like that. That's where we see reflected light. But when in nature, where do we see reflected light?
0: You think you know the answer? I'd have to say probably the moon. Okay, there you go.
1: Important, but closer to Earth. Where do we see reflected light?
0: I don't know. What do you have in mind? Water. Okay, yes. Okay. You mean like a, like a glimmering
1: water is the only substance that reflects light in nature. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that again, it kind of with like with the fire thing that seemed like a, you no, know, it's not really important. Yes, it is. Cause now every time it talks about water in the Bible, it's connected to the concept of a mirror. Okay. So okay. Um, just yes. like what I was saying before, I didn't used to associate, uh, Cooking food with light. But if light is fire, then those two things are connected. Same thing here. I didn't used to associate mirrors with water. But now they're connected. So now when I say something like, um, you got to renew yourself. Okay. Uh, And I say, what is the symbolism of renewal in the Bible? It's water. Water right? Cleaning yourself with water. Drinking water is about refreshing. Refreshment means renewal. You're you're renewing yourself. But then also with the water, I see myself in the water. The water is is a mirror. Okay. So when I'm cleaning myself, I can even see this really practically. A person goes down to the lake and he cleans himself. He sees himself in the mirror when he cleans himself. See, those things are connected. Looking at yourself in a mirror and cleaning yourself in nature are things that are connected but in our modern life they're not connected you see so in the symbolism they are connected so when in the bible it talks about water you gotta have all those connections in your mind and they are when you read the stories you you see them the connections of uh you see yourself in the in the mirror okay Hmm. so just an example but it, yeah. you see how yeah. how what i'm saying is there's some if you go back to the nature right the the reality of simple human beings your mind makes certain connections that you don't make as a modern human mm-hmm. and then what you've got if you want to understand ancient stuff ancient scripture and things like that in symbolism you do have to return to a primitive
0: uh, mm-hmm. experience you know? Well, and as soon as you say that, I start thinking of all of the other stories in the Bible that have to do with fluidity, you could say, like whether, of course, the grand scale of that would be Noah's flood, where yeah. it uh, renews or washes clean the whole world and uh-huh. starts afresh. Um, but then I also think I've been spending a lot of time with the story of David and Bathsheba, um, where David kind of reached the bottom of his pit in his fall. And uh, and then what, what actually... Re- renews him in that moment is repentance and and weeping so just like the fluid of of tears yes Um, now you're thinking the right yeah would so that would that be something like um repentance and weeping and sorrow would be a way of like cleansing the soul or renewing the spirit would it be something like that yeah well i mean you just did a really good insight Crying is
1: water. When does water come out of of us? When we cry, you know, it's not often that we have water coming out of us. So the symbolism of water, water is is associated with crying. So that's not usually what we would think. If I just ask someone in the street, do you think water is is connected to cry? uh, not crying? But do you think these two things are connected, like being sorrowful and water? They'd be like, no, not really. Well, crying. Ah, okay. There's a connection now. So now okay. when you think of someone who's crying you see the symbolism of of water um but in the sto- in the bible these things are the, the the stories are constructed so that you see these connections okay so we were talking about david in the story of Bath, bathsheba she's bathing she's bathing when he sees her on the roof right, right. she's in, she's in the water so and then later because of that um David has a moment of repentance where he sees himself, he sees himself as, uh, as guilty, okay? So it's reflected, it's all related, okay? The Bible is written in a way oh, you're where right, because, you... Because uh,
0: the prophet comes and he uses a, a parable yeah. uh, to reflect David David's actions because David doesn't even see what he's doing. Yeah. Th- that it's wrong or that he's fallen into unrighteousness or corruption.
1: Yeah. And so I, now he's broken he,
0: commandments. I mean, he's really bad. And it takes like a prophet, you know, like holding up or like framing that uh using a parable kind of like in a, what would you say, like a mirror or a reflective yeah. way?
1: Yeah, he he created a mirror for, for David and then he saw himself. But you see, if you understand mirror and water go together, then you see, oh, yeah, Bathsheba, ah, she was in the that's... bathtub. So it's oh, like he's thanks. he was looking at her when she was cleaning herself in the in the bath. So the mirror's there already. So see, the, his mm-hmm. sin started with the mirror. The bath is the mirror. It is a mirror. If you if you if you can like I said before, make some certain uh-huh. connections in your mind that we don't usually do.
0: Um Yeah. So in that in that stage, when he sees the the very first part of that story, you know, he's not going to war, he's not doing what he's supposed to, he's a bad king, unrighteous king. Um, and then he sees uh, Bathsheba in the bath, seeing the reflection. What is what is reflecting to him at that point? The first part of that story.
1: Well, that's what we're supposed to imagine. I don't know. We, it doesn't say, right? I mean, it's we don't know that the story doesn't say all these. These are things you're supposed to just have insights about. You know, the idea is what was he seeing in the in the bath? He was seeing himself. That's what he was seeing. But what what that that's what when you have a child, that's what you that's what you see in the woman. You see right. yourself in the future, you know. It's like a glimpse of yourself in the future. If you see a woman that you love that you fall in love with, and you, you imagine that she's gonna become your wife, what are you doing? You're seeing your future, you're seeing yourself in the future. You're seeing your kids in her, but your kids are, it's you kids are you right They're a reflection of you in the future it's just an example i mean you're supposed to think about these things you know there's many things to understand in here uh but it the idea is there's certain connections that we don't naturally do anymore because we're we're, we're too we're too uh um separated from nature really right. we're right. too separated from nature and we can't see so you said before the moon okay the moon reflects Is a reflector so that means the Moon is connected to water, connected to mirrors and connected to um, connected to repentance, connected to all that you Now the Moon calls forth the tides, right hmm. we're saying before crying. You know, when we have a moment of reflection, of sorrowful reflection, we cry. (laughs) Crying is related to repentance. Again, water, all these things are connected, but we don't usually necessarily see them as connected, you know? Right, right. So, But I mean, it's also
0: also tied to um, really like the female anatomy too, because um, so much of the female body is tied to cycles of fluidity, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, menstrual or... um, (laughs) There's a lot of other things, but... Um, and connected wondering. to the moon.
1: Connected to the moon.
0: Yes. Menstruation
1: connected to the moon. I don't know how scientists explain that, by the way, but it's a traditional thing that the idea that menstruation is connected to the cycles of the moon. It's well mm-hmm. known. I mean, it's still true. It's still true today. A little less true. Mm-hmm. Because the more we separate from nature, the more these certain things separate you know like I, right. I think in the past women used to probably all be menstruated at the same time i'm not j- that's what i think it's my theory like it, women in a, in a close that's quarters me. they used to have that's all me. their me. menstruations at the same time
0: yeah i mean if they're working in close proximities it's just a matter of time
1: yeah and i think it was clear. related to the moon it's too I think. Yes. but now we're we're live separate and we live on fake light you know and it all the cycles are messed up now so these are subtle things they're subtle influences so if you have a big light bulb in your house you, you're not influenced by the moon as much as as we used to but if you don't have any light artificial light then the moon is a is a stronger influence on you. And, right. but uh, the influence of the moon isn't just the light by the way i mean people who say that they don't know what they're talking about there's there's an influence of the moon that's more than just uh Mm-hmm. the light i don't know how it works but you i mean now i there's no doubt in my mind now that i live more in nature the moon has definitely uh cycles of influence and in you you can feel it i mean mm-hmm. there's undeniable and you can hear it in the end you can see it in the animals often when the animals go crazy this it's moon cycles i mean i could predict now today right. the animals are going to go nuts you know during the night because of the moon so it's
0: like the technical term we kind of use it differently today is like hysteria right <laughs> right where it's like that's tied to you know going crazy at moon time or at certain yeah. cycles that are moon influenced yeah yeah
1: yeah these are all real things i don't care what scientists or materialists say when they say it's not true at it they don't know what they're talking about i don't trust them as much as i used to that's for sure
0: what are the the stages of the life of a woman and how do we understand that you know symbolically
1: another example of an insight that i got because i was thinking practically okay going back to practical stuff and i realized something really important about the the symbolism of women and the role of women in, in in ancient society but it's it's changed today but um the woman in in the ancient world okay because it was let's say patriarchal okay uh, because it was right i mean the woman her her function in the universe was very different from that of a man because mm-hmm. uh not just in terms of the sexual dynamics and the reproduction i'm talking about something else here um let's say you're a father okay and you have a daughter and you're, you're trying to imagine in the ancient world okay now your daughter um when she's in your family, uh, she's useful to you, just like any other member of the family can be useful. You know, She does yeah. chores and things like that. Like your son, she do, she does, she do, they do some chores and there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. I mean, you're a family, you're working together, you're doing things together, you're trying to survive together, right? So it's not like anything wrong with that. But your daughter, in your mind, you say, one day I'm going to lose her. She's going to be gone out of my family. I mean, how intense is that? Uh, We don't see it as much today because it's not the same structure of uh, dynamics of families and stuff. But in the past, my daughter, if she gets, she's going to leave my family and she's going to go and join another family. Okay. Think about the implications of that. It's a big deal. So I have this person that's in my family now. That in the future is like almost like a traitor in a way. She's going to be not in my family anymore. She's going to be in another family. Now, imagine you have different families that are in competition. Okay. Imagine you have families in competition, which is probably what it was in the past and still is today to a certain extent. And you have a daughter and now she's loyal to you, your family, you. But in the future if I, if she gets married she's going to become loyal to another family okay now what if that family is is not necessarily that friendly? you're always in a, in a little bit of a competition between groups I mean it's just a fact of life now my daughter now will be able to say things about this family to that family which maybe I don't want. Okay? I'm just giving some examples here to, for you to understand all the implications of this daughter going to join another family. It's a big deal because now, and also the opposite is also true. Okay, When you have a son and he, and he gets married to a, a daughter, you're welcoming someone from a, a foreign family. Another family, so a member of another family is coming into your family. Okay? So now... Same thing, but in reverse. But you got you to see all the implications. So is she loyal now to her new family? Or is she still seeing herself as part of the old family? Now, if all the families are getting along, there's not a big deal. Not a big difference. But if the families aren't close, if they're in somewhat of a competition with each other, it is a big deal. Now you've got a spy, potential spy in your family, okay? So, these are all things that we don't think about anymore because we don't function like that. So, but this is very important. Like, here's an example. In the story of uh, in the story of Jacob, okay? Once you understand these, these dynamics that we don't think about anymore. In the story of Jacob, Jacob, he goes off into his wife's family. He joins the family of Laban, that's not what's supposed to happen. It's upside down. Usually, it's the other way around. Usually, it's the woman that goes and joins the family of the man. But in that case, it's like an inverted thing. And it causes some weird problems, dynamic problems in there. Because Laban is like, he's trying to flee. Laban is trying to keep him in his family. He's trying to keep Jacob in his family, his family, you know? He wants to keep his daughters. Anyway, I don't want to get too far into this, but it's just an example of the role of the woman in the past was very, very different from that of the man, okay? She was the stranger that comes into a family. That's what she was, okay? It's very different. So if you're a father and you have a daughter, you know that your daughter soon is going to leave you into another family. She's going to become like a resource or a member of another family. It's a big deal. It's like we don't think about that. And if, if you're a father of a son, you're going to have a new member in your family. So you've got to trust these, these new members. You know, It's going to change the whole dynamic of your family. So this is something that we don't think about. And if you think about that and you read the stories in the Bible, you'll see how important it is to keep that in mind Ah, the woman you know like when i say i talk about the eve the role of eve in the story of adam and eve and i say eve Eve, she is the foreign perspective right she mediates the foreign perspective i don't know if you saw the conversation i had with uh, jordan peterson did you see that i did yes okay so so eve mediates the foreign perspective now think about what i just said the daughter literally is that marries your son is a foreign perspective uh, a, another family a foreign family she comes into your family so she really is the foreign perspective in your family now you see so it's not just metaphors you know it's it's a very concrete so the the female is a foreign perspective in your family so yeah. she can either so that's a lot of implication she can be some, she can bring something new to your family because she comes from another family. She's got new things that you've you know, maybe never um, experienced or whatever. She's got different. Uh, even if it's in the same culture, I mean, there's still some differences in different families. You know, it's still something new that she brings. And, right. but then, right. All the problems are also there. She could be like a treacherous woman. Who knows? You know, if you if, if that family is your enemy, I mean, they could send their daughters to, you know, stab you in the back. While you're sleeping you know I, i'm you i'm doing the extreme examples but
0: uh-huh. it's just but on the other but on the other side so the, the family that is receiving the daughter is that like a that the control those like kind of like the integration of a foreign perspective or how yes. to integrate the foreigner
1: yes yeah she they have to integrate some foreign some things that are different from their family inside of their family they've got to deal with these differences so you know sometimes you know, feminists get upset at the idea that uh, they used to um, pay a, d- a dowry, right? When, when you give your daughter away, they used to have to pay. But it's not really insulting when you think about it. It's, it says that she was worth something to that family. Mm. She was she's worth something to her family. And now I'm going to lose her. I should be compensated for that. I mean, it's not, it's not like a negative thing. It means she had a lot of value to that family. It's like, now I'm losing a me- my members of the family is a valuable thing. It's not an object. It doesn't make it an, a commodity. It's, it's just, it was acknowledged that she had value and that she had to be paid, you know? It's so it's, it's not an insult. It's the other way. It's, it's often like that certain kinds of feminists, they, they see things as insulting when it's really the opposite, actually. And that, You know, the thing where Adam names the animals and then Eve, it says Adam didn't find a help. You know, some feminists see that as insulting, like, oh, Eve is like one of the animals. No, she is not like one of the animals. That's the whole point. So why do you see it as an insulting? it's, It's like they sometimes they invert. Certain things, you know, it doesn't say she's one of the animals. It says she's not one of the animals. So you know, take it for what it is instead of inverting it because that's what they often do. Same thing here with the dowry thing. It's not an insult. It's the opposite. It's a. It's like you're worth. You you got worth. Your 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 family's losing you. That's should be compensated. You know what I'm saying? So these are just. It's probably not what you wanted, you know, in terms of the whole women thing. But I'm giving you things that you've probably never thought of. Now, I don't want to, to tell you things that you already know, you know, because we all understand that a young girl represents, you know, uh, innocence and things like that. We all understand that uh, in a way she represents nature and things like that. But I think I'm maybe giving you something, maybe that you, you haven't thought about the, the idea, the dynamics of a family for a woman and a man were completely different. They were like opposites. Yes. You know what? Yes. You want a son, like, the fa- if you're a father, you have a son, your son's going to stay in your family forever. Mm. But if you have a daughter, she's going to go. Big difference, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a huge difference.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like you're describing from the perspective of a father and having a daughter. I'm wondering, like, Are are, are all of these things like tied together? You talked about uh, having a foreign perspective, having a mirror that reflects, um, and then like this aspect of a father to a daughter. Um, Like all of these things, like do women represent this or carry this out and the way that they live their lives on the earth in reality? I think so. I think they, yeah. Compared to men, yeah. so is the, the, all of these things, are they part of that refreshing renewal? Is this like recreation in a way? Is that like what motherhood really is too? Yeah, motherhood
1: is, is exactly that. Motherhood is, yeah, uh, it's uh, creating creating a new, uh, a new human. That's what mothers do. They give birth to new, 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 a new man. They give birth to the new man. So it is about refreshment. A baby is a a fresh, a new uh, human. (laughs) See? Mm -hmm. Quite literally.
0: I think about that like in the story of Bathsheba too because there was two children. Um, One was the, the, I guess, the seed of unrighteousness um, that did not grow, you know, after David repents from uh, conceiving with uh, Bathsheba um, and murdering her husband for intents and purposes Uh, in order to make that happen. It was like after that point of repentance, which actually is kind of interesting, you know, to kind of draw upon your your book, is that he repents for seven days. He prays for seven okay. days. And then at the end of that seventh day, that child dies. And it's an unnamed child. It does not have a name. Yeah. And then, um, so what happens, the very next thing that happens, they don't use the number eight, but the very next thing that happens narratively is the conception of Solomon. Yeah. Okay. So it's almost like like,
1: so he's all, like, the like all of
0: those other things were washed away. And then on the eighth yeah. day, right, is, or like, how would you say, like the recycling into or the turning of the cycle to day one of a new yeah. week or a new era yeah. is, is Solomon, right? And then so that's like the seed. Like she brings that Bathsheba, the same person, same mom, is now delivering forth, I, I guess, the next era of the kingdom. That's a, a seed sown in righteousness, uh, rather than uh, out of corruption.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So it's like, <clears throat> like many stories in the Bible, there's a. It's like a microcosm in that event of the whole pattern of David, what he is. So that event is is a is like a mini version of all of the story of David. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Because David represents that as a whole. How so? He represents the renewal. You know he's also the eighth child by the way david is the eighth
0: oh right yes okay so yeah. why is that significant that it's 7 and then 8 what's happening there
1: i think it's what you just said before it's the new start right that there's it's like the new uh, the new week the new cycle it's like the one one begins again right the 8 is like the one so you what you said was correct in my in my opinion you you had it
0: well, I, I suppose this is my attempt to try to put your um, your principles into action, so to speak, with uh, because I you do. It's interesting. You do discuss David in your book, but it's typically in the margins. I noticed <laughs> I, was that yeah. intentional.
1: Well, it's because, man, my whole my whole purpose in life is to explain what David is all about. If you want to know a little secret, uh, yeah, tell me more. Why is that? Yeah, my it's like my whole my whole reason for uh doing anything basically <laughs> is because I wanna explain the David. I wanna I want people to know what King David is all about. Mm. Because I think we're it's related to our times. Like this is the time to it's the time for King David. I I don't know mm. how else to say it like this. This is what's gonna, I think is, is going to happen. so we have to be able to recognize recognize the, the signs you know because if you understand what something is you can recognize the signs of it. So okay. this is I, I haven't I'm not there yet in my in my uh, publications or whatever I mean I don't even yeah. I, hopefully I will get there at one point. But now I'm getting closer to it. We're talking about Eve and stuff. I'm getting closer to David. Um, I'm gonna, I, I've always wanted to write a book about Samson because Samson is related to David, okay? And uh, the reason is because eventually I want to talk about David. So most of what I do, uh, most of what I write, and most of what I talk about is it's about one day being able to talk about David so that people will understand it. I mean, I could talk about it now, but I don't think anyone would really understand it because David is a really special uh, character. You know, it's it's not easy to understand. Uh, so it's like I have to... There's certain things you have to know in order to understand
0: what David is about. You know, there's like... Are you just waiting for the right veils to be pulled back at the right time? Yeah,
1: yeah, you have to explain certain things before you can understand. Uh, like you got to talk about Eve before you could talk about David. So that's what I'm going to do next. You got to talk about Samson too. So so maybe I will write a book about Samson just because for the purposes of explaining David. Um, I mean, I could say something right now about, I think you, you will understand or I think your audience will understand because there's certain key things that it's like, Things that contain a lot of information, okay, but we can still, um, we can still hear them, okay. Uh, yeah. So here's something. Um, like what David is all about. Uh, so I'll say it like this: David understood in life, what Samson understood in death. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's like a sentence that I'm giving to you. Like, you can understand a lot with that. Okay. So, that's the difference between Samson and. David, now, I, I there's a note in my book about that. Uh, if you remember, I say that Samson is like the sun, and David is is the moon. Okay, uh, that's
0: yeah, not yeah, me.
1: Yeah. It's not me that makes that up. I this has come from tradition. Okay, and I Samson means sun, so that's again <laughs> not a big mystery here. Samson literally means sun. Okay, so it's not. I'm not the one. I'm not making stuff up here. You know what I mean? It's the <laughs> sun in the sky. Say that again.
0: As in the sun in the sky.
1: Yeah, yeah. The uh, Yeah, yeah. Not sun. S O N. Sun. Uh, S U N. You know. Um, yeah. And David is the represents the moon. Uh, is connected to the symbolism of the moon, and the difference between the two is very important. Like if you want to understand David, read Samson, and then read David, and you'll you'll, you'll figure it out yeah. because. David, what what Samson does at the end of his life, what he understands, the mystery that he understands when he dies, is what Samson uh, understands his whole life. Okay, so that's why they say um, what Samson understood in death, uh, David understood in life. It's like a way to differentiate the two. And um,
0: and there's like another the setting of
1: the sun, and then the rising of the moon. It's about it's about the cycle. Okay, like the mystery of the cycle, how what's the operation of that? Samson figures it out when he dies. Okay, David figures it out his whole life. He's got it during his life. He knows about the cycle his whole life, while Samson only figures it out at the end of his life. But he's got a good understanding of it, Um, but he doesn't fully get it until he dies at the end. Okay, that's when he fully understands what this pattern is all about. On the other hand, David—he's got it in life. In life, he 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 knows how to do certain things in a way where he he'll benefit from the cycle of the of the pattern the pattern of the cycle. Okay, Um, while Hmm. Samson he doesn't really benefit
0: from it. Sorry, from an early age, David knows.
1: Yes, his whole life he knows. He understands the mystery of the cycle. Samson he doesn't. He can't, but he doesn't benefit from it. He doesn't understand it enough to benefit really from it. Okay, it kills him. In fact, it's what kills him. Um, there's another. Um, there's another hint in, in tradition, in the Bible. You know the the verse that says uh, uh, a a la- a living dog is is better than a dead lion, right? You remember that proverb? Um, that's about it's related to david and samson the the living dog is david and the dead lion is samson okay, okay. this is from tradition I, is, i'm not the one who's making this up so samson is the dead lion and david is the living dog okay so david is is uh connected to the the animal dog samson is connected to lion well that that one's easy because it's it's a little more clear in the story by the way when when uh, Samson kills the lion, what do you think that means? It means he's killing himself, okay? That's what it means. It's like a hint. It's like a glimpse of the, of the end of the story because <clears throat> there's, there's lots of hints about that in the story. Uh, well, the lion is, is a solar uh, symbol, symbol. You know, it's associated with the sun in, in every culture that has a lion in it. Um, so the idea is when he kills the lion, he's, he's killing himself. It's, it's a representation of, of the cycle. And it's a representation of the whole story of Samson. Uh, there's lots of hints too. I mean, when he asks the riddle to the his the Philistines, um, you know, he, he, they they're trying to figure out the riddle, and so they say, "What is stronger than a, a lion?" That's in the riddle. Um, from from the strong comes the sweet, you know. So. They pretend like they're figuring out the riddle, but really they were told by his, his wife, which is really his enemy. So, and then they say, what is stronger than a lion? Instead, they don't just give the answer. They don't say the strong is the lion. They ask it in the form of a question, which is very, very interesting They say. It's like a rhetorical question. You know, what is stronger than a lion? The answer is Samson. Okay. But Samson is the lion. Okay, I'm giving you some little hints here, but um, there's lots of hints in the story of, of what I'm saying. Uh, the, the little lion, um, lion honey thing, the the riddle. It's 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 a symbol of the whole story of Samson. It's like a microcosm. That little riddle is the riddle of Samson himself. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just giving you some hints here. <laughs> I don't know if you'll what you'll make of
0: it, but and then well, like, David, just... yeah, 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 David, go ahead.
1: I was going to say David is is the same thing. So basically, what he understands is the pattern of the cycle. Like you, you don't want to kill your enemy because you're killing yourself, and if you want to kill your enemy, you can kill yourself. That's that's the cycle pattern that he's understanding. David gets it, but he gets it in life. Like he manages to live even with that knowledge. So what he does is while Samson gets that if he kills his enemy, he kills, if he kills himself, it ends up killing his enemy. That's how he understands the cycle in death. Okay. David understands it in life. So it's all about like, he doesn't want to kill his enemy. He doesn't kill his enemy. Why? He knows if you kill your enemy, you're, is gonna end up killing yourself. He knows this is important. Uh this is actually the the pattern of this uh the book of judges it's all about that it's all about that the judge this is important stuff uh not a lot of people understand this uh they in the book of judges it's about they are both judges and saviors at the same time okay so that's it's the paradox of this cycle because why they're the saviors of Israel, and they're the judges of Israel. Those are like opposites. They judge Israel, and they save Israel. They do both. It's a cycle pattern. Uh, the whole book of Judges is about that. The, the paradox of being both the savior and the judge at the same time. So it happens in this, uh, the book of Judges. They, the judges save the Israelites from their enemies. But then they end up becoming the enemies of Israel. If you read, you can reread it with that in mind. You'll see that, that I'm right. So they save them, but then they judge them. Judge them means attack them in, in that context, because that's what happens. So like uh, Gideon ends up attacking Israel. He, he defends Israel, but then he ends up attacking Israel. And it happens with uh, Samson too. He defends them, but he ends up attacking them. You know, you'll see. Read read the story. You'll you'll find it very interesting. With the little
0: yeah, very things I'm interesting.
1: Saying. Hmm.
0: Okay. I'm, so I'm just thinking about David. Um, you know, so he goes from he goes from knowing what's ahead of him, being called out as king as a very young boy, and then it's almost like this really really long process for him to step into what that is. Um, yeah. So, like, why is that? What's what's happening there?
1: Because he doesn't want to kill Saul. That's why. That's why it's a long process. Because it's it's all it's all about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He he knows you got to wait. He knows you have to wait. You can't. You if you like if he kills his enemy, he'll he'll be killed. It's like he kills himself. I don't know what else to say it. It's really simple. It's really simple. But in the end, um, i trying to find a way to explain it. But because David is about renewing the king, he's a, the renewer of the king. That's why he's, he's a musician too. And we see it in the story. Saul is taken over by the bad spirit at one point. And this is about the tree. Of, it's about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's lots of things in the Bible that are about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But for some mysterious reason, nobody understands that that whole symbolism. I don't. I don't know why. But Saul gets taken over by the bad side. Okay. it's, it's from God too. It says God sends the evil spirit to Saul, and then. Uh, David receives the good spirit, right? It's like, so it's the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And um, David um, is there to renew kingship. Okay, so what does he do? He he plays music for uh, Saul. That's how he renews Saul. He's playing music. That's what it's for. Right? It's about renewal. It's about rest and renewal. And uh, it works, you know. It's, it, it renews Saul, but it's temporary, you know. So this is just so we understand what the role of David is, in my opinion. That's the whole point of that. It's like a microcosm. Again, there's so many in the Bible. It's always There's always mini versions of the whole story, right? So there's an example of that, that when David plays music to renew Saul, it's a mini version of the whole pattern of the story, which is about David's going to replace Saul. who's going to renew the kingship, okay? So the whole time. He basically could be killing his enemy, which is Saul. He could kill him many times, okay? Uh, but he he refuses to do it because he knows if you kill, he's the king. So if he kills the king, he's killing himself. And this actually is not just a clever little thing. It's it's very practical. If you are the if you are you want to be a king, you don't want to kill the king. Because killing the king is like a disrespectful thing. You're disrespecting the office of the king when you kill the king. You understand what I'm saying? So if he is king and he kills the king, he just disrespected the office of the king. So the next guy will just kill him too. So he's going to be the next in line to be killed by the next potential king. You understand what I'm saying? So It's like if you do that, you put yourself in a cyclical, uh, like a vengeance thing, you know, like a Mm -hmm. retribution thing. So, I mean, you killed the king, so why wouldn't I kill you? Now, if I want to be king, there's no reason not to. But if he respects the the office of the king and he refuses to kill him, even though he's his enemy, it's like he's saving his own life when he's doing that for the future because Mm -hmm. he he establishes the respect for the kingship. I'm not going to kill the king because he knows he's the king. See, he knows that in the future he's going to be king. So I'm not going to kill what I'm going to be in the future or else if I do that, somebody else will later do the same to me and I'm going to be the one who's going to be killed. So this is just an example. The whole story is, is, is about the mystery of the cycle. And David is like a master of the cycle. That's what, that's the best way to understand what David, he's like, he understands deeply the cycle. And uh, so he, he does things like he joins with his enemies and then the enemies, he uses his enemies against Israel he uses the enemies of Israel against Israel. This is all about the oh. cyclical pattern. He, like he understand. He's like he's surfing, you know. He's surfing the the pattern of the cycle. He's like a like a. He's got deep knowledge, you know, deep knowledge of something um, mm-hmm. about the concept of vengeance and how you how do you avoid vengeance? How do you avoid the cycle of vengeance? How do you use your enemy against? Yourself, but you make sure that you don't get killed in the process. You know mm. things like that, mm. and this is what he does. And uh, at one point, he's he's with the enemy, and he's supposed to go fight Saul. And then I don't remember exactly what happens, but he ends up not going there. It's like he knows he's got this. Anyway, I, you should read the story with, with just just what I told you already should help you. Um, he's so I think of David as like a. A master of the cycle mm-hmm. that's what musicians are in my opinion too <laughs> that's what they are in, in, in a way of in a way of speaking uh so this is what it's hard to explain like i would like to one day write a commentary on the, that whole book but it's not easy it's it's hard to explain i explained wow. a little bit i think it, it sounds managed. like you're working your way
0: up to it though man yeah I mean, like it's hard i, I, I just Yeah. Well, you know, so you, it's in a way it's, so you're saying like, he doesn't want to introduce the pattern of revolution and then step into king. And then what do you know? Like the whole kingdom is built on the foundation of revolution. And then it's like Rome or Russia, like any of these like empires that you study in history. It's like, as soon as they introduce that then it's like kings, they last for a year and then another revolt happens and then they're wiped out. And then the military coup happens and then, you know, then a revolt against that. And it's like, just this never ceasing pattern.
1: Yes. He understands. He understands deeply the consequences of entering into this pattern. Exactly. And so he, but he still enters into it though. This is interesting. He doesn't just say no, no to the cycle. That's not quite what he does. He just, is able to use it to his advantage. Okay, and this is—it's not the only uh, story in the Bible that's like that. There's also the Book of Esther is also about that. The Book mm-hmm. of Esther is about surfing the surfing the wave of the cycle. Okay, because mm. it's about using the the cyclical pattern to defeat your enemies, but not be defeated. Because when you use that, you can defeat your enemies with using the cycle. It's not that hard, but then it's going to come back to bite you. Okay, but. In the book, David is a master of not not having that happen to him. By the way, at the end, David, what does he do? Um, he never gets vengeance. And at the end, when he has got his son, he gives him the responsibility, like avenge my enemies. Okay, mm. but it's not him now. So this is how he escapes it. And he does that at the end of his life too. So he's going to die anyway. You know, but he like gives the responsibility of vengeance to his son. So this is actually important, right? Because it's like I'm. It's not me that gets vengeance. It's somebody else that. I mean, that's the whole. It's the whole idea of a legal system. Hmm. That's how you establish a civilization. You know, you don't. You're not the one who's going to do your own law. Somebody else will. So, but in a primitive uh, world, you know, you avenge, right? You avenge yourself. And that's what they're trying to escape from. You know, this whole warring cycle, the cycle of vengeance, 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 Mm. never ending. So how do you get out of that? It's not easy. It's not easy to get out of that cycle. So that's what David knows how to do. And that's, he knows how to escape um, the pattern. And use it at the same... Not just escape it, and use it. So like I said, same thing, Esther. Esther is about uh, using the cycle uh, against your enemies. So this is what that book is all about. It's like... There's a confusion at one point between Mordecai and... uh, What's his name? Uh, Haman, I think his name is. Haman. Mm -hmm. The bad guy in the story. And then it happens when Um, the king is trying to give a compliment to Mordecai, and Haman, for some reason, I guess because he's prideful or something, he hears it and he thinks the king is talking about him. Okay, Mm. so it's like he's complimenting Mordecai, but this guy, Haman, interprets it like he's the king is talking about him. So he says, What reward should I give to this man? and he thinks it's him. So he gets, ah, the best reward, you know. But you see, this is this is where the cycle starts, okay? It's like when there's a confusion between enemies. So there's two enemies, but con- there's a confusion. They're joined in some way. That's when the cycle starts, okay? So in the in Book of Esther, that's where it starts. It happens when um, Haman misinterprets what the king says as if it was about himself. Something about pride, too. It's like he... He wants to reward himself, okay? And that's his downfall. Because once you want to reward yourself, you're, you're entering the cycle. You're entering that pattern. And then what happens is everything turns against him. He wants to punish Mordecai, but he ends up punishing himself. And he wants to reward himself, but he ends up rewarding Mordecai, you see? So, Mordecai is knows how to use the cycle to his advantage while Hammond is the opposite he he like he, he falls into every trap you know he wants to reward himself the opposite happened he wants to punish his enemy he gets punished so uh, this this is just a little uh sideline <laughs> just i just want to give you another example of that whole surfing the cycle thing because they're not there you can still use it you use the cycle you don't have to just act like it doesn't exist but you got to be like really clever, like King David. This is what my opinion. This is what's coming soon because the people who <laughs> people who are messing our world up right now, they're also, I'd say, masters of the cycle. They know how to use that that whole magic, you know, that whole confusion of the um, vindication and things like that. They know what they're doing. So the the person who can win against that is also someone who knows these things how to use the cycle but in a good way so for renewal real renewal not uh, not the re- the kind of renewal they want to do now
0: i'm just thinking about like how haman or haman Haman. yeah i'm not sure how to pronounce it either yeah so he he builds the the gallows right he builds the gallows with the intention of hanging his enemy um mordecai but he ends up building it and gets hung there himself. Yeah. Or like how David talks about the pit a lot, you know, uh, vindicate me, O Lord, and bring me out of the pit. Psalm after Mm -hmm. Psalm talks about that. Um, And then there's also when that says that, that this, this pattern of the enemies digging a pit that they end up falling into themselves. Yes. So yeah. Do you think David is all about today? Is that, is that could be what's happening?
1: I'm not sure what's going to happen, but yeah. surely, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm not saying that like trying to avoid the question is just we're in very strange times. That's for sure. <laughs> we are not in normal times right now. It's, it's, you know, lots of things are happening and it's not going to, it's like, it's not going to end well. And we need, we need help. You know, we need help from, uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: from above, I guess. Yeah.
0: I gotta be easy. Well, I um, think matthew i gotta say that your book your discussions they're they're super helpful in creating like a map for navigating reality and acting in this world um for how to see things clearly um i know there's so many i could go on and on just with how you've helped me and just even the practicality of my family life you know with my wife and as a father um as a man who acts in society um so I appreciate that. And then it, it seems that we've come to the end of a cycle. It looks like the, the sun is setting or the moon's rising in the background there in your video. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: there's, a, there's a snowstorm too. I didn't notice that. <laughs> Pretty much a snowstorm right now. Well, you get better uh, get back to your yurt yeah, and I will. strike up the wood-burning stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to go do right now, actually. I didn't okay. notice that it was a, there's a lot of snow right now. All right. <laughs> that's my cue, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I Matthew, uh, I I appreciate your resilience in making this conversation happen. I know we had uh, quite a number of things pop up right before that, that almost pushed it out and didn't make it happen. So I I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, no problem. And you know what? Like I I look at this list of potential topics to discuss and it's, um, yeah, we would be barely halfway through. Um, So I'm really excited (laughs) that uh, everything came up the way it did. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to more. I look forward to what you're doing and what you're writing, and you know those discussions that you're having. Yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> I'll,
1: we we can have another talk that eventually, I guess, uh, if you're interested. I mean, if you want to get me talking, all you got to do is mention the
0: Bible, you know, and then it <laughs> yeah,
1: flows out. Well, of I, I don't really
0: control it. So, <laughs> well, there's a couple things. So, uh, the answer to that would be like yes, um, and then the other twofold part of that would be okay so the symbolic world group we're kind of we're working on a project right now it's still veiled um and so i reserved a lot of those some of those questions specifically for that where um it's going to be a very special project and um so i'd like to continue asking you a few questions that will i'll just say it's not going to be a video project it's going to be something with actual paper um and so it'd be great to maybe uh, engage in that way and answer a few of those questions in that format. And then, okay. uh, um, and then another thing is, were you able to read Cormac Jones, his article in the symbolic world blog about the cosmic chiasmus?
1: I saw it. It, it seemed very interesting. Yeah, I will read it. I saw it. Like when you, you sent me an email, right? I, I saw, I went to see it. I saw what he was talking about, you know, like mm-hmm. patterns of, uh, and um I decided I was going to read it, but I didn't have time to. It's like, I'm really okay. busy right now. It's it's always just, I'm just getting ready for winter. Basically. It's like, all my time yes. is is taken up by that. You know, I'm like building, building, uh, shelters and stuff like that. Cause you know, you, you gotta have a work area, you know, for the right. winter. I didn't have that last year. And now I learned my lesson. Like you gotta have an area that's sheltered from the, the elements, you know, just like for building things and stuff like that you know um it's you can't work in the snow i used to think yeah. you could but i tried and then it's like no everything gets wet and you can't you can't just can't do it so you're in like the elements
0: like, man and every building. way so yeah here's my thought on that is when you get to that time go ahead and read it because reading that article was at the same level of reading language of creation your book and I'd be really curious to see if Cormac would be willing to have a conversation and perhaps I could play as, you know, moderator or host or something. Uh, so if you're oh, up maybe. to it, it'd be yep. really cool to, to get um, Cormac and you in the same uh, talking space and see what comes of it. All right, Matthew, well, I'll let you go. Man. It looks like it's getting cold up there. yeah yeah it's uh, snowy (laughs) all right well it was interesting thanks again oh and folks if you haven't already go get a copy of language of creation read it once read it five times read it ten times um you won't regret it and uh matthew thank you very much for the talk um yeah my pleasure forward to talking with you again yeah me too (laughs) okay